Hello and welcome to The Life Pod, hosted by Michael Panay and Karim Dow, brought to you by MK Enterprises, a community based on discussing life topics and driving continual personal development and growth. Send through any topics you want covered and be sure to follow and tag us on all social media at MK Enterprises. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Life Pod. Today we have on Peter Skipardis, owner and founder of Chapter One Real Estate and Australian Melbourne soccer player, thank you very, very much for joining us today, man. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Thank you for having me, guys. Man, thank you so much. This is, it's like you do it all, man. You're in like two completely opposing different industries that literally have zero correlation with each other. Both require a lot of time, a lot of dedication, a lot of productivity. You can't sort of just be blase with both. It's like... Yeah, so fill us in, man. So how did you get into both and where did it come from? Why do you do what you do? Well, starting look, back when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a professional footballer, a soccer player, and yeah, went through school. I had no intention of, you know, really staying here as, as long as possible. wanted to go straight overseas and mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to get the <coughs> opportunity when I was 16, went over to the UK and... At yeah. sixteen, you at sixteen. No, that's that that's a very exciting opportunity, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's like you're living in a bubble, though. Like you, you're thinking back now, it was yeah, it was an incredible experience. Yeah. And eight years there, in overseas, in London. Yeah. Oh wow! wow. So you lived in London for eight so, years. Mm. So talk, I guess let's let's go back back. When did you start playing soccer? I started at eight with South Melbourne. Yeah. Did the majority of my juniors there at eight years old? It's a big drive from the oh, southeast. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, parents would have hated oh, that. Parents hated, <laughs> hated it. But um, didn't no, want to go good. Oakley. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I was in South until I was twelve, thirteen. Yeah, well, got into the Victorian Institute of Sport for a couple of years, and yeah, when I was well, fifteen, I went over and trolled, and then sixteen, I moved. So you went to London. Went to London, Queens Park Rangers. Oh wow, QPR. Yeah, signed there uh, in the, the youth system, youth team, and yeah, two and a half, three years later, Stoke City bought me. And then how was that? Up the Stoke. Fucking hell. So how was that, I guess, at that age, being away from family and everything? That was tough. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely tough. Having such a close family as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, It was difficult. But again, you're living in that bubble, that, that sort of fairy tale almost in that sense. So it's like you've got good distractions. What was your mindset like back then? Uh, it had to be, yeah. It had to be really, yeah. really yeah, mentally tough, strong. Yeah. And then it didn't get easier because... I've done four ACLs, so... Oh, holy shit. Yeah. Just four of them. <laughs> yeah, Matt. All good. So, yeah, that, that took its toll, slowed me down, and, and, yeah, bouncing back from them and having them in such quick succession as well made it made it incredibly difficult. So, so there's two things I want to touch on, on two of those things you said. So, obviously, being pretty much in your prime teenage years, you know, girls wanted to go and party or whatever it might be. Obviously, you're very career-driven, and that's amazing. How did you, did you find that you had to grow up very quickly, pretty much living in a completely foreign country by yourself? How did you go, like, you know, navigating way around, living? Did you live just like the rest of the soccer team? What was that did, sort of like? Or did you learn your biggest lessons there? Yeah, like, how did you go, 100%. like, I have to be an adult now and I'm still 16? Yeah, no, you definitely <laughs> have to grow up quickly. And especially in a city like London as well, it's it's amazing the, the similarities, but the differences as well. Yeah. You know, so well, the way the club set it up, uh, they find families well they, they, they put their hands up the club suss them out and 
Yeah, just so sort of like foster parent type thing. Yeah, correct. They call them digs over there, but yeah, digs. foster parents. Yeah, I never understood that. Weird word. Never understood. It, sound, it, it actually sounds worse than probably one of these <laughs> digs. <laughs> I, it's like terrible condition. Like they're not great. They're yeah. they're really really not great. Like, um, I lived with literally the devil. She was horrible. Oh my god. So again, oh, no. it didn't make it easy. English help. English. 80 years old, three divorces. Oh kids don't she hates her life. Hates <laughs> her life. Hates her life. So, yeah, I was in there with one of the other boys. And, yeah, it was Why apply terrible. for... So, she would have to apply for something like that to she, host you. Just to yeah. absolutely <laughs> ruin your yeah. life. <laughs> she would apply. Fuck <laughs> my husband. I'm getting two, two soccer players in here to fucking... Um, uh. But, yeah, two, um, two of us lived in there. The club <clears throat> source it, club pay for it. And, yeah, she, she was a nightmare. How, how does it go, like, if you actually had to do something like that where you feel like, okay, like, I actually don't want to live here, I feel uncomfortable, whatever it is. How do you go about, do you just say, how do I want to live here and they try and find you another place? Yeah, but they're very limited. So, it's, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. So, being in that environment, you've got an incredible atmosphere with your teammates, with the boys at soccer. And then, yeah, going away from that at home, like, mm. it helped me in the sense because I hated... Just want living train. situations. I just mm. train like an animal. Mm. Like literally, as soon as I woke up, straight to the club, and I wasn't getting home till like six, seven o'clock at night. And Eat our training and wouldn't finish. Our training would finish at like two, three o'clock with double sessions. But yeah, I'd be like doing that much more just so I could yeah get away get from away it. from it. All, and that yeah. was in the Queens Park Ranger days. That was Queens Park Ranger days. And yeah. then you so then you so then you got approached and signed by Stoke City. Yeah, fuck that. So just. A, you don't know. Yeah, I'm fucking well. useless with That's this shit. <laughs> huge, huge English Premier League team. How was that? Yeah, incredible. So <coughs> making that transition, yeah, going from London to Stoke and back and forth. My parents moved over at that point as well. So, oh, so they lived in the UK? Yeah, they lived in Mad. London. So yeah. what age did you play for at Stoke? 16 to 19, I was a QPR. 19 to 23, I was at Stoke. Yeah. But I signed after three months, did my first ACL. So I went oh, on international no. duty with Australia. And yeah. Last World Cup qualifying game and snapped my knee. So, yeah, building it up, getting through everything that I did over that three-year period initially at QPR, getting signed by Stoke, essentially getting told and, and working towards being on the verge of breaking in that year. Yeah. Three months later. Um, ACL. ACL. First do you remember one. how you did it? Yeah, I was running down the wing, full speed, cut back inside. I was in Miami at the time. So, um, pitches were horrendous um studs got caught foot got caught my body turned went one way my leg didn't so oh, yeah. yeah that's what i wanted to ask i actually forgot i lost my train of thought <laughs> before is about that so how do you go like i got snap my acl but i'm gonna get up and go again i'm gonna make this work and then you snap it again you go like no no i've still got this i can't first do one it. was easy the second <laughs> one the third one the fourth yeah, so what's going through you what's how do you persevere through that it's difficult but yeah you just go back to your why you know, why are you there in the first place? Why are you you're playing football? Why do you want to get, you know, to that elite level? What are you chasing? And and then that just keep keeps driving you, keeps you going. And yeah, but it's it, it's difficult. It's difficult, you know, and your body's slowing down as well. Things you could do previously, you can't do anymore. That half a second just starts to, to compile. Did you also up. find that there was a bit of a mental barrier between you and yourself going, I really want to run full pelt or I really want to cut, cut in or whatever it might be and go, in the back of your mind, like, I don't want this to happen again. Like, this could snap. God mm. forbid. Is that always running through your mind? So you, you almost held back on your own performance a little bit? Yeah, after the, well, the second one. So the first one I understood. There was contact. There was trauma in the joint. Like, 
understand why that happened. The second one, I'm pressing a defender. My other one just collapsed. Oh, no. You know, another 12 months out of the game. So is your other Something. knee? The other one, yeah. Yeah, so again, you know, just for something like that, such a long-term injury to be able to go so easily, it's almost like you're slicing butter. It, yeah, it definitely plays plays a role mentally, you know. It slows you down. You're not, you know, going as hard in some things. You pull out of some things. Like, it, mm. it, does, it does play its toll. I guess at that age in another country with obviously your career in your sight and then you've got these injuries happening come the fourth ACL what was going through your head like were you like no nah, I'm still going to persevere I'm still going to go were you having other voices physios saying look fuck you know Peter it's not worth it, not worth nah. it. like you're going to it's just you're not going to get better or you know maybe <clears throat> maybe clubs even other clubs or even Stoke City saw the fact that you had ACL 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 or like how does that work and what was going through your head yeah, well, yeah, doctors would sit me down and say, you know, your meniscus, your cartilage is, is literally running that thin now. There's only so much more you can actually do. You can actually do until it's essentially just bone on bone. And, you know, you got to weigh it up, you know, long term. You're going to have kids. You know, you're going to be able to run around with them. You're going to be yeah, you know, limping around, crippled up your whole life. That It definitely plays a part. So it's like I've seen the most cutthroat, ruthless industry in the world and that's professional sport they mm. didn't care who you were what you did how many goals you scored how many caps you got for your country they didn't, they didn't care at the end of that uh, after my contract was up at stoke and fair play to them I, I got the best rehab in the world and and they stood by me in that sense but once my contract came to an end well look at it from a business perspective as well i didn't play i didn't deliver i was in a physio room mm. in a gym for the better half of four years so I, th I think um you don't you probably don't know this person but i think gareth bale was a good thing of that because he was for real madrid mm. and then he had his injuries and they were just like yeah okay cool you're not doing anything for us now yeah and they sort of palmed him off over, yeah. the, over a few seasons mm. so even on that and you know in that regard it's just you're right it's crazy so <clears throat> sport england tell us how you made the shift, I guess, came back, and now you've started your own business. How did that all form? So came back, came back, played in the A-League. Again, I was still of the mindset. For okay, Central Coast? Yeah, Central Coast Mariners and Brisbane Raw. Yeah. But I, I was still of the mindset. I wanted to continue to keep pursuing professional sport, professional soccer, and that would essentially kick-start it again off the back of my injuries <coughs> to see what I could make of the game again. Yep. But my body wasn't holding up. So had yeah. you done your fourth ACL, then played A League, or did you do your yeah. fourth whilst at A League? Uh, I did it and then played A League. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, just, my body wasn't holding up. I'd come back and I'd cramp constantly, and no matter what I tried, it's just mm. you know, body um, was tapping out. Body was tapping out. I get out of the car a certain way, and I'd, I'd feel it all the way through. You know, so it's like I had to make the decision, and then from both perspectives, not only my body, but you know, long term financially. You know, no disrespect to Australian football, but you know, yeah. you're on 67, 68, 69 grand first year contract, really, uh, in the A League. And and the way I looked at it, I weighed it up. You know, I've, I've, I've still got mates who are playing in the A League, and, and I looked at them in that sense, and I was like, by the time you're mid 30s, say you step out of the game, you're still going to have to get into the real world, essentially, and still work. And still work. <coughs> I thought to myself, okay, how can I get out 
earlier, still keep playing. And for the enjoyment of it. For the enjoyment and, you know, have to start a career and pursue something else. Yeah. And that's how I fell into property. Okay. So um, it, It's funny. Um, it's funny because we had uh, Oscar Ledlin on here mm. and we had a chat around the fact that, you know, when it comes to professional sport, you either you got to there comes a point where you sit back and you analyze fuck what where is my future going because Oscar was obviously a, a boxer a pro boxer before he got into little developments and everything like that and you know it get it gets to that stage where it's just like fuck which path am i going to go to and it's and it's a big risk i guess in that in that matter as well so I, how did you get into yeah, what made you go real estate what you know, yeah, could have been what made, know, a chippy a glazier i don't know it's like, yeah, well, how, did, how did real estate come about? And then industrial, I guess, for that matter yeah. as well. Yeah, no, so real estate property, I've always been interested in it, always been fascinated about it. And yeah, I thought, pursue a career in it. I never anticipated, you know, commercial or, or industrial. I just, mm. I got my license. I put 50 ads out on Seek. And yeah, um, I got two calls. One was Ray White in Glen Waverley. And the other was um, Hudson Bond in Doncaster. So, um, rocking up, it was it was a surreal feeling. It's like, okay, I was doing what I was doing previously. Never had a job interview in my life. And then I'm rocking up, suit and tie, to an office. And, yeah, going going into that, um, go in. Guy sits me down. He goes, I've seen your YouTube highlights. I think you'd be perfect. And I'm like... What? How does yeah, it make any well, sense? How does, that, how does that how does that work? But then I sorted to understand that comment. I didn't end up at Ray White. Went to Hudson Bond in Doncaster. I thought I was rocking up for a residential sales role. I see you thought it was residential. Yeah, and it turned out to be a commercial prop commercial property management role. So starting there, I just I liked I liked the vibe. I liked to feel you know the company and starting commercial property management. Got into commercial leasing, then commercial sales. But then I always just gravitated towards industrial, and that's how I, yeah. What did flourish. you take from that comment? How did you take that comment of the highlights? How did you make that translation between he likes the way I play soccer mm. to I'm a good real estate agent? The same mental toughness, commitment, dedication that it takes. And then going <coughs> back to Oscar as well, professional boxer. <coughs> that applied into the business world. It's unstoppable. Yeah, incredible. Incredible. Taking that commitment, that dedication – and then channeling it correctly in the business world. Nothing will fucking get in your way. No, you've got that much more of an advantage already. So that that's when I, I, d I didn't understand at the time. I was laughing at him, you know. Um, but yeah, a couple years go by and, and then that's when, yeah, it, it really clicked and showing that. And yeah, I was worked for someone for three years and then a little over a year ago, started my own business and that industrial sector is where I've really gravitated towards. And I'd say 90% of my business is industrial now. And yeah. How do you Love find it. the transition from, I guess, management to leasing then to sales? I thought it was a fantastic way to get into it because you're learning everything on the back end, you know, how to structure leases, market reviews, mm. you know, everything in that regard. And then obviously, you know, the maintenance side of things, dealing with landlords, <laughs> tenants and, and everything in between all the way through and then just making that transition to then leasing the property you know, understanding the back end of all that to so then getting to sales and understanding all that and then being able to do essentially everything all the way through. So 
Was there a massive jump from sales to from management to sales? Not really. Not is, really. Is industrial sales as like cutthroat as residential? Yes and no. You know, it goes back to relationships at the end of the day and, and, and knowing what you're talking about, what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, really just tailoring it to that particular <coughs> client. You're dealing with, you know, not only people who are running their businesses, but investors as well. And, and yeah, it's, it's, a different, it's a different conversation, a different client than selling a home to. Yeah. You know. You'd have to, it's a, yeah, it would be because I'm sitting there trying to think how, you know, the process of you guys, you know, acquiring properties and then selling them and then having those discussions too and then different type of buyer as well, like... Is it's there, interesting. Is there a lot less uh, requirements? And that's probably not the right word. But for example, when somebody's looking for a house, they want X amount of bathrooms, garage, square meters. But it's like in an office or an industrial piece of real estate, it's like it probably needs to be X amount in size and maybe have a mezzanine. It's like, have you? is there anything you've noticed like people are actually more picky, less picky? Is there certain things that people are actually leaning towards when buying industrial real estate? If you're using it for your business... I like to help them get creative in the sense of how you, you sell a home, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, you can sell an ensuite, uh, master bedroom, beautiful view, beautiful kitchen. Where when you're dealing with industrial, yeah, the way they're building them now, they look phenomenal. Mm. But at the end of the day, it needs to make sense financially. It needs to be viable for them. You need to get into whatever emotion is ticking them over in order to make their decision whether it's purely numbers-based and from an investment perspective, I need to sell it in the sense why their tenants will flourish in this particular pocket, in this particular development, or from their business. How is it going to help them? How are they going to grow? How how can they, you know, utilise the is space? Is it suited to, to them? Yeah. Correct. And tailoring it in, in that sense. So it's a, it's a different conversation and you need to get far more creative as opposed to just opening the door sometimes and people fall in love with a home. And so since you've been in the... A lot harder now, but I fucking wish yeah. it was that easy. Yeah, but no, yeah, no, no, correct. Since you've been in the space, have you noticed a trend towards one industry more than the other? So for an example, a lot of you know small, medium e-commerce brands are just buying industrial and keeping all their stock there rather than you know, just drop shipping it from China or whatever it might be. Have you noticed a trend towards one industry more than the other? Even like a lot of small gyms are just buying industrial, turning mm. them into facilities. Yeah, no, that's why I think unless you're a service provider, you look at main road retail, you know, unless you're a cafe, a restaurant, real estate agent. You need industri industrial. People are gravitating towards that industrial. Have you seen a massive growth since the uproar of e-commerce? Yeah, massively, yeah. massively. And I think COVID fast-tracked that even yeah, more Yeah, 100%. As well. Without a doubt. So, you know, you can go into an Sink or swim, that's what people have to go. Correct. And, you know, th that's why the business parks have really flourished because the rental in comparison to shopping centre or retail strip, you know, a quarter, a third, significantly less regardless. 100%. You know, and because they've got their exposure online through social media, they don't need that main road exposure anymore. You know, that the, the, they still drive. That's so fucking true. I've so much more traction. I never thought about it like that too. I mean, there there obviously are, you know, commercial places that still have some sort of value. Like if you've got a commercial place or a, where did I drive past the other day? And it was a, it was a retail store, mm. but they were on like, um, not Chapel Street. It was near Chapel Street. And you just, I, I thought to myself, I took a step back. I was like, fuck, I wonder how much traffic they actually get compared to, you know, the online 
business and how it's affected them paying that amount of rent on that road there yeah. to sell their shit. Well, they just could have put that into marketing <clears throat> and probably tripled and their revenue. Tripled it yeah, online, correct. you know? And correct. I think <clears throat> I, I sat back and I thought about it and I was just like, I think the only time where retail would actually pay off and you're paying top dollar for um, a spot somewhere would probably be in a shopping center. Um, but even then, like a, in a good shopping center, but also in a good spot correct. in a shopping center. Yeah. If you're like at Chadston and you're like somewhere in the corner next to Maya, it's like, Probably not. It's like if you're next to another big store, let's say like JD Sports or something, you're probably going to get a little bit more traction just because people will go into such a well-known store and they're probably going to slip into yours. Yeah. So that in itself is like a little bit of, not marketing, but a little bit more exposure for you already. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I I think a big thing (coughs) as well that's helping the business parks and like commercial is that there's, uh, I can't even say this word, I always fuck it up. Exclusivity. Like people like being a part of a community. So it's like, if you've got a store, you've got a store, you've got a store. It's like, oh, I like what they have. It's like, you know, it's like a team there, real nice uh, places. I want to be a part of that. How can I be a part of that? It costs me less and it helps my business. And that in itself is a referral system. Like if you're running an e-commerce brand out of there and I buy a couple pieces and then my friends say, hey, where did you get that? Oh, actually my neighbor has the e-commerce brand here. Mm. So that in itself is its own marketing. So No, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And people really like belonging because people people by people and people like being a part of a community if you can build off camaraderie and exclusivity people will buy yeah and that goes with anything Mm. it's like if you started a business park and said oh i've only got 10 factories here and we're not making another business park for another 10 years and everyone likes you and like what you've built it's like they'll sell out and then people will buy just because they want to be a part of something which is it's very similar to Oscar's, I think, strategy moving forward and his business parks too. Um, one thing I wanted to quickly ask you is you took the step out of where you were and started your own business. How did you find that? It was a difficult transition. You know, it's like anything, anything good, you know. It's, it's tough initially and, yeah, you know, juggling all that and also juggling sport as well so were you still playing a league when you made the no i don't know no i played uh mpl oh okay yeah Yeah. where um at that point i was at south melbourne then i went to altona magic yeah last year now i'm playing at kingston so yeah yeah juggling that managing that if i was doing residential i don't think it works why why is that monday to friday commercial predominantly even though i do work because residential weekends. fucks your life, that's why. <laughs> Don't get into it. <laughs> Sorry, life hack. 99% of yeah. the work I do is Monday to Friday. You know, still working every weekend, but tidying up other mm. things and, and, and uh, working on other, other things. Seeing clients Monday to Friday because they run businesses as well. And, mm. and then that's when, that's when they're on board with residential <laughs> weekends. Uh, you know, they're fucked. Yeah. Not <laughs> is that what also help you pick... Commercial. I rock. fell into it. I okay. had no idea. I thought I was rocking up for a residential. Oh, so sales literally, rock. okay, okay. I had no so idea happened. when. And um, you're like, I'm just going to run with it. Yeah. I, he asked me back then, he goes, Do you know what role you're here for? <laughs> I started aerating. Yeah, no worries. And then once once I figured out commercial property management. What did you say? Did I'll, you do I'll, like. I went, I went back to my car. This was because I had a couple in. I, that was the first interview. I went back to my car, already confirmed the second interview with. With his dad, um, it was part of the business as well. Uh, a couple of days later, so I get back to my car and I start googling what commercial <laughs> property management <laughs> is, and yeah, no, but look, it, it worked out. 
it worked out really well in the end. And, and yeah, by doing that and starting that way, mm. property management, leasing, sales, that really <laughs> helped me start my own business because I saw everything on the back end. And as Michael was saying, what made you go, I'm not going to work for someone or under a company, I can do my own? Was it purely a financial thing, like there's more money to be made, you live more freedom with your hours? What sort of was it that goes, this isn't going to work for me, this is a better option? It's just, I think it's always been within me, you know, wanting to do it for myself, you know, being able to as well. It's just, mm. that's that's what was driving me, you know. And, um, I've always felt unfulfilled in the sense that my goal, my dream was always to be a professional footballer. I didn't achieve the heights that I wanted to, okay, because of injury, but again, I, I didn't get there. So it's like I'm always trying to chase something more and more and more. And I just, I want to be the best possible version of myself and, and exploring, you know, everything. Mm. And so, it's a great trait. It's a great trait to have. For and sure. on that note, what do you do for your own personal development? You sort of enrolled in some courses, you read a lot of audio books, listen, you have a mentor, things like that. Audio books and, and even reading, you know, most nights, um, a lot of podcasts as well. You know, I can't remember the last time we played music in the car. It's just yeah, it's always, true. always podcasts now and just, yeah. Soccer, obviously. You did soccer. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Was soccer. that Tuesday, Thursdays? Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday game. Fuck, that's still weekend. a lot. <laughs> Do you find yourself, I know for, for both of us, like we might be out or having a dinner or like we might be just doing something, but we're both thinking about the things that we have to do for our businesses. Do you find you're like that at soccer? Or are you like, when you're there, you're there. You can when sort you of switch, switch off. off. No, you can switch off. You can switch off. I can't switch off any other, any other thing in my life, but when you're playing soccer, you do. You, you know, for, for whatever reason, for me, that's like... That's your release. That's a release. Great release. 100%. Because I still genuinely enjoy it as well. Of course. Yeah. And also, you know, playing with your mates, playing with your family. Community. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's really good. So now that you're in the commercial real estate field, have you found that you have actually developed a passion for it? Like it's obviously you got into it sort of by accident. You started doing it. And did you go like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Like, you know, I actually really like this and I can see myself doing this. Yeah, and I love it. Okay. Absolutely love it. And yeah, I gravitated towards the industrial side and, and that's becoming my bread and butter now. And and that's what I truly enjoy. So, so your company, is it, uh, just to clarify, is it just industrial? No, we, we cover everything. Oh, so you do no, do we've got retail, office on the books as well. But residential? Residential, we've dabbled in it <coughs> a little bit here and there. Yeah. Where clients have crossed over. They've got their homes, Both. apartments, yeah. even management now as well. Yeah, we are. We are doing a little bit but do you need already commercial do you need a different license to sell industrial no it's no, the no, same, same it's the same across license. the board isn't same it same across the board okay yeah, yeah. same real estate license across the board interesting cool and what for me i guess because i've obviously being in real estate too you think about you know potentially going down your own path in the future as well how did it work from i guess a standpoint of contacts and network when you start up your, your business in industrial, where did that all come from? And how did you sort of, I guess, get around that? Because I think one of the hardest things with people is when they start their own, you know, their own businesses in, in fucking in property, it's the, it's the contacts, it's the network, it's your database. Talk about that, who you know. hard to, Correct. to grow. Uh, who you know at the end of the day, the work <coughs> you've done 
for your clients is at the end of the day, you're dealing with people, mm. you know? So if they like you, they trust you, they respect you. People by people. People by people. Mm. Correct. Did you find that because you had a bit of a name for yourself in, you know, the sporting industry, like you had a bit of a reputation as a, let's say, social person. What's, what's the word? As a public figure, that's the word. Did you find that that helped you and people started to recognize you? Oh, like, well, again, it's like people want to be in contact with people of value. This guy used to play in, in the UK. Oh, I want to buy my property off him. Did you find that it was sort of happening a little bit as well? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, friends, family. That, that, that's what How I did your friends on. and family take it going, well, they were, did they ever say like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not playing soccer? You Now you want to sell houses. Did they ever go like, what the fuck? What's happening? My body didn't allow me to. I, I know you what did, it? but what, what did they yeah. say? What was their sort of take on you transitioning? No, they were happy. They were happy. As long as I was happy at the end of the day, then yeah, they they supported me, you know? <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, one question I have is, I guess throughout your soccer journey, all your injuries, going to England, having that, then coming back, you know, A-League, working out what you want to do, getting into the industrial industry, then starting your own business. What have been some of the major, I guess, setbacks or I guess downtimes that you've had in the throughout your life? Like what have been the hardest points? The hardest when you're crippled up in bed, you can't walk and yeah, you Coming from an injury, you know, it's it's like everything that you ever knew was taken away from you. It's taken away from you in a split second. Being able to manage that and, and bounce back from that, that transition was definitely... Yeah, what was, what was your mindset bouncing back? Was it like, I have to do this, I can do this, I will do this again, I've done it once, I'll do it again, or was it like, again? It's like, or was it just always having that end goal, you know, where it go, you know, go, you know... Back to the Premier League. It's like, I've got to get there. I've got to get there. And like, you just go, if I just reverse engineer that, get better, do my physio, do my rehab, start training, start walking, start running and build the building blocks up again, I'll get there. What was sort of the the mindset behind it? Essentially that, you know, but after one and the other and the other, it, 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 it takes its toll and you have to be a realist in the sense, no matter how yes. much you want something, if your body can't hold up, you've got nothing. I think that's with anything. It's, obviously it's really good and important to set goals and goals are a little bit scary mm. but within reason it's like if you've just made 100 grand a year and you want to make yep you know i'm going to make 10 million next year it's like maybe like it's maybe possible but it's like you have to set it a bit of a scary goal but like you said sort of within reason so i'm all for setting extraordinary goals but i think what's important is the process in order to get to that point you can't just say like you said go from 100 grand to 10 mil, yeah, maybe you can, but how are you going to get there? What, what's the step? Each step along the way, that's why you need to truly understand and believe and, and find that process, you know? So, yeah, set extraordinary goals, but... They should be scary. They should be scary, 100%, but how are you going to get there as well? You need to, you need to understand the process because mm. you're not going to get there otherwise. What is the goal for your business? Like, what is what's the next big goal? you guys just want to keep expanding keep employing and yeah just what does that look growing. like getting into different i guess maybe growing your residential side so how does that look i want to keep growing the commercial at the moment <coughs> property management i'm putting a massive emphasis on just constantly wanting to take on more properties growing that and it's it's a domino effect into to everything you know 
bigger sales department, bigger leasing department, and just yeah, that that three to five year plan, and just and just keep going from there. From the property, I guess, aspect of you having your own business, what have been the major setbacks then, and what have been the major, I guess, things we've had to take a step back, like oh fuck, I've got to do this, this, this to you know keep going. I think any business is challenging, um, but at at the end of the day. You know, you, you bounce back from certain things and you keep learning from it. You keep growing and you keep moving forward, you know, just constantly coming Evolving. back. It's a fantastic, I guess, perspective to have because it's not, not a lot of people are like that. They just, they get hit and they get hit again and then they get hit again and they just give up. Mm. Or some people just get hit and just give up. It's like that video I'm sure we've all heard. It's like, it's not how hard you can get, it's not how hard you hit, it's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Because yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's like because it's it's always gonna happen. He doesn't watch movies. He doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. It's <laughs> it's gonna happen regardless. It, no matter how small, or how major, it's gonna happen. There's always gonna be setbacks. It's always the you know one step back, two steps forward. Sometimes it's even you know five steps back, and you might end up in a shittier position than, than what you were originally in. But again, it's the steps in the process. If you just repeat that, the goal will eventually come. You just have to keep going through the motions to tick the box in the long run. I personally believe at least. 100%. And if you just keep repeating successful actions, what's worked for you? Success leaves clues as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and and that's why I'm massive on on having a structure, getting up every morning, you know, having my routine. What does Peter's daily routine look like? Daily routine, up usually between 5, 5.30, 45 minutes to an hour max in the gym. Weight training? Um. It, it varies, and I, I tailor it to my soccer schedule. Yep. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm doing more rehab, yoga, targeted breathing mm-hmm. in the mornings, where Tuesday, Thursday, yeah, it's it's injury f- prevention, still yep. soccer-specific, but with a little bit of cardio as well to, to top that up, and then, and then weekends, depending on what day the game falls on. But, yeah, most mornings, up early, in the, in the office after that, 8, 8.30, just... Yeah. Where, where's your office the located? Ascot Val, 404 Alexander Road. So there you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then, yeah, yeah, tack, tackling it at that point. I like to, my appointments in the morning and then. How do you like to set out your day? Because I think this is a big thing a lot of young, just go-getters, entrepreneurs struggle with. It's like, do I go by how many tasks I have? Do I do user to-do list? Do I go, you know, time-bound tasks? So how, how do you like to sort of tackle your day? I feel like there's a big take home that a lot of people struggle with. I think to-do lists 100%. I always do them the night before. But having my appointments blocked up in the morning, predominantly, and then in the afternoon, it's it's the more admin side of things. And you know, if we're finalizing contracts, th- leases, whatever it is, we do that in the afternoon. I think a big thing there that everyone can take home from, even I do, is just writing the to-do list the night before. That in itself, I find is such a big thing. Because one, I find that I can sleep better because I'm not worrying about what the hell I have to do tomorrow. Mm. But two, it stops the stress of that day. So you just know, okay, this is my plan of attack. If I just tick these boxes, today was successful. And I can just repeat that. Yeah. You're more efficient that way. 100%. You're not like, and that way your mind is clear to actually do the task rather than worrying about, have I got another person to call? Have I got another email to write? It's all laid out. You just literally tick the box. With that also, I wanted to ask, a lot of people like to go, um, I've got, I'm just going to give myself two hours to reply to emails. Whereas some people like to go, I'm going to reply to 
10 emails. Which do you, do you like to go set time bound sort of tasks or task based task based tasks like set amount of X activity? With that sort of stuff, I'll be replying to emails at midnight even and all through the day, you know, on your phone now. It, that sort of stuff, yeah, I'm, I'm not organized in that sense. And the way I operate, I'm I want to get back Still to people as soon it as out. possible. Yeah. 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 You I want to get play back to here. people as soon as possible, but... <clears throat> you have to in the in this game too. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speed's incredibly important. Speed's yeah. my number Straight one away. asset. Yeah. yeah. That's my number one asset, speed. And that was actually one of my things when I started. It was just like, I was... I guess... I remember when I went for my interview, my boss was like, we're not going to throw you in the deep end. You're going to learn. Because like, I had never been in the industry before. And then I remember my first day, he literally fucking threw me straight in the deep end and you just get overwhelmed with like all this information because there's all these things per property that you have to know and have to do you need your documents you need your section 32 you need to make sure your vendors are you know i guess under control and this would all be similar with you guys too you need to make sure you know you're reaching out to every buyer that's inquired on your property then you obviously, I'm not sure how opens work for industrial. We do, we operate private inspection. Oh, private inspection only, yeah. and then you have to organise all that. And I'm sure you have to have your legal, you know, document out for that and everything like that too. So, and that's for one property. And then when you're dealing with like four or five of those, plus taking a step back and figuring out, fuck, how am I going to organise income for the next month after I sell these? There's so many elements to it where it just can be a, a, quite overwhelming, and at the start, I was like that, but then I found I switched to if I got a text with an inquiry, it's straight away. If I got an email, it's straight away. And once you do that and tick it off or you have some sort of like, one thing I've done really well is have a note system on my phone. So if I'm like fucking in the middle of, I don't know, an inspection or something and I think of, oh, fuck, I have to do this when I get back to the office, I will try and get on my phone quickly and put it into a note system. So then that way when I go back, so I don't forget. Yeah. Because as humans we can only retain so much information and it gets to a point where you remember things but you just forget them because there's you know so much uh, so much and we're overflowing Mm. like it's just and it's not that you're shit or you're not good at your job because you can't retain information it's just the fact that you you physically can't especially people like us who are always on the go the finer people trying to do more inquiring more business whatever it is it's like you're going to have those random balls like, oh, I forgot to do this. So if you don't write it down, yeah, you're going to forget because there's so much more 100%. information coming in. Yeah. No, without in, a doubt. There's two things I wanted to say. So in terms of the private inspections, do you find that obviously it's better from a building rapport and a buyer standpoint, I guess, but from a standpoint of let's say you got 10 people that are or 10 potential buyers that are interested, doesn't that take up a lot more time for you to set that out? And do you find that's almost counter, counterintuitive to being productive as a whole because you're taking so much more time out to serve each individual person? 100%, but I prefer it that way. You know, you're building that relationship. You're building that rapport. You're you're truly getting to the bottom of understanding what they're after and and what they require. So if it's not that property, it'll it'll be something else. And, you know, them seeing that and them understanding... How much you care. How much I care, correct. Um, that's, That's come across in... You know, lifetime clients now that, that I'm going to be working with for the rest of my life. More so in terms of, let's say you've got 10 for 
10, 10 for this property and 10 for four other properties. That's like, what, 50 people. So that's what I'm asking. Like, how do you sort of manage that when it's like there's so much and still get around to everything? But again, like I said before, still on top of your emails, your admin, your sock guide, everything else. So, so that's what I'm asking. How do you find that balance between managing it all? That's difficult to juggle. But again, organization is, is key for it. Planning your day the night before, you know, having that structure in place and, and trying to stick to it as much as possible. It's never perfect, but trying to stick to that structure as much as possible, um, it gives you the best opportunity to be able to, to juggle it all. And in terms of speed, you guys said, obviously, speed is really important, and that's, I couldn't agree more. I got, I got this off uh, Reese Livingstone. He said, he's like, if you can provide a service that somebody else is already providing with a quicker turnaround time or get them to their result quicker, whether it be buying the house, whether it be losing X amount of kilos, in a short amount of time that somebody else can do it, you can automatically charge more because speed always wins. He's like, Definitely. if you say you can lose 10 kilos in a year and charge, I don't know, 100 bucks a week or lose 10 kilos in a month and charge 200, the person will always pay more because people are lazy and they want it done sooner. Correct. It's true. Yeah. It's a, it, I've also I've often thought about that and tried to apply it to real estate, but it's, it's a bit different. Yeah, because yeah. you guys have to wait for correspondence from different people, so it's probably a little no, bit different for you guys. It's more like if you're doing speed in real estate, and probably yeah, if you're doing speed in real estate, then the results not there because then they, you know, because we can sell stuff in the first weekend, but will it be the best result? Yeah, will like it be the not? best price? Probably yeah. not. Yeah, because you got to wait for other people to put what, the offers. What's the turnaround time? You list a property. What's the turnaround time? Like how how long does it take to sell an industrial lot? Depending. Look, everything's different, whether it's off plan, whether it's already built and built. established. Yeah. You know, something's happened overnight, some a little bit of a tougher sale as well. You know, I think it's all relative. What are the vendor's expectations as well on price? Or, you know, there's a lot of variables in that sense. Is it vacant? Is there a tenant in place? What's the rental yields? Rate per square meter. There's there's a lot that there's a lot that, that does go into it, and and each property is different. But yeah, I'd say well, on, on average, you can go from a week to a month, really. Mm. But private inspection, private sale. That's that's what I specialize in, and I, I prefer it that way. Do, is there a lot of auctions that happen with industrial? Or not there really? is. Yeah, there's plenty. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty. It'll be it'll be the same across the board, whether it's residential, commercial. Same what what the do you board. find usually yields a better result? I prefer private sale. Yep. I, I think, you know. So that way there's no sort of people, you can just do direct communication. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on the market, I just think with auctions, if your property fails at auction, you know, the price is damaged and the property is damaged in that sense, where if it's private sale, you can. It's great education for the vendor though, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it is. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you want to be able to, to do that without having you know, the detriment of damaging that property. 100%. If you had to, sorry, no, go, go, no, 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 go. I feel like yours is gonna be. I'm better. gonna forget. No, go, go, go. <laughs> You're oh. gonna forget. No, I'm good. Go. Cause speak. I was just, I was just saying from, I guess from an investment standpoint, um, there's there's a massive deba a debate about, you know, people getting into, purchasing their first investment property, and there's the whole debate against residential and industrial. What are some of the Qualities and again we had this discussion with Oscar, but what are your, your take from your perspective? Pros and cons. Yeah, pros and cons of investing in industrial, um, and then compared to residential too. And what do you need entering the industrial market yeah, compared to residential? Legalities, deposits. You know, um, 
finance, everything like that. What so if, if you're like, if you were sort of, let's say, teaching someone, what would you sort of tell them? It's sort of a commercial, one hundred percent, and then more specifically, industrial within that. No question. You know, if you compare the both, you've got tenant place and residential property as opposed to your commercial. You're paying for everything. Where your commercial tenant will pay your council rates, your body corporate, building insurance, water rates. They'll they'll take care of all that. Every bit of maintenance as well. Everything but structural. Um, your tenant pays for as well. Where residential, that's not the case. So if you look at your net yields and, and you take into consideration over the course of two, three, five, ten years of owning that residential property as opposed to that commercial one, what is your actual net yield? Because every couple of years you might have to change your carpets and you in the residential investment, repaint, pipe, and inflation of everything as well. Correct. Let's. That's good. That's a good point. Let's talk about equity growth. That though, yeah, growth historically in a home, yeah, it, it has been more. But at the same time, you need cash flow. You, you talk about inflation, spot on. You know, at the end of the day, a dollar today wasn't worth what it was oh, ten yeah. years ago. So, okay, you've had that growth in your home. But at the end of the day, what are you buying for the same value in 10 years' time? Yes. You need cash flow. And and commercial gives you that cash flow and it maximizes your yield and your return. You know, so that's why I'll, I'll, I'll always, I'll always push that. I th- can I say, can I speak? Mm-hmm. You sure? Mm-hmm. Uh, for an example, like a house like this, you know, back in, you know, 2000 would have been, let's just say 300,000. It might be worth 800,000 now. If you go and try and take eight hundred thousand to anywhere in Melbourne right now, it's going to get you a shoebox. It's going to get you nothing. So, like you said, it's like your carrier. Sorry. Yeah, continue. <laughs> I lost my train of thought, bro. If I can speak, bro, I don't speak no more, bro. I give up. Fuck you, bro. No, you're saying you're taking your eight hundred thousand dollars and it gets you a shoebox. Yeah, like it gets you like yeah, okay. Your house, like Peter was saying, your house has gone up. Your house is worth more. Cool, I mate, amazing. So if you sell it, you've technically made a lot of money, but you're not going to get anything with that amount of money, even though you've made money on that. What you can get in return for that is so much less compared to what you had originally bought for many years ago. That's why cash flow, I think, is essential. You know, maximizing your yields, constantly multiplying it. You're getting your growth in your commercial property. Yeah, it might not be historically at the same level as residential, but at the same time, you know, it's far more valuable in the long run. Yeah, and you're taking equity from that, you're refinancing it, you get so creative as to the way you can configure it all. But it's interesting because, and some people I speak to who are only residential, you know, investors and stuff like that, they, they would rather, you know, you know, they appreciate the cash flow too. And I guess it depends on someone's portfolio and what they sort of need at that point in time. But their tactic is buying investments, you know, everywhere that are sort of cash flow positive whilst having that equity growth too and for them it's about it's not necessarily about the cash flow um, and i guess it's an investing technique that people use too it's not about the cash flow but it's about the the overall equity that you have amongst those properties too and at the rate of that growth too because what they do is they don't sell them necessarily is they just re-borrow yeah. off them and just create and re yeah, reinvest that. Reinvest and buy more and more and more and more compared to... And I think... and Can't you do the same with both then? It's just different. And, and then the ca- I'm ca- not cash flow, so let's say if you reinvest and buy more, don't you still have the same amount of cash flow? Well, that's why I said equity growth because if you have an industrial property 
And it's the exact same too for residential units and townhouses. The equity growth on a unit and townhouse compared to a freehold house on land is ridiculous. So if you have a townhouse and you purchase it, and I've and I've seen it firsthand because I sold a unit in St Kilda, right? A part of a, a part of a building, part of a body corp. They purchased that for three hundred thousand dollars in two thousand and ten, and I sold it at the last year in a good market for two hundred and eighty nine. Oh, sorry, two hundred and ninety eight thousand dollars. So there was no growth there at all over a ten year period. Whereas if you have a home, a free home like like yours on land, and you're selling that in that difference, you're looking at a substantial growth. Like you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars difference. And when banks assess that, that's what I guess allows you to have a higher borrowing capacity and a higher, you know, they give you more money to purchase more things. I agree. But I think what Peter and I were saying is, what are you going to do with that? Because if you're going to, again, borrow more with that, let's say you get that 300,000 back. Yeah. So what's that going to get you now in today's market? Three, but you, three hundred thousand dollars. You you see, you would reborrow that and then use that to put towards a deposit for other properties, and then the bank would just give you the money for the other properties. But what I'm saying is, what sort of so you wouldn't like crappy having, properties you're going to be able to get? Because you're not having three hundred thousand dollars. You know, I feel like you're missing my point. No, I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. I understand what you're saying because because what you just made off that is so minor. And then today's market with inflation, everything's gone up. It's like, what what sort of other residential property are you going to be able to buy with 300000 Well, it's not necessarily about the actual property itself. It's about the numbers. It's a numbers game. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I have this discussion with people too all the time. They say, oh, Michael, you're going to buy a property. Where are you going to buy? I'm just like, oh, in Queensland. They're like, why? Are you going to move to Queensland to live there? There's just this... There's there's this expectation that when you buy a home, you need to live there oh. or you have to see it physically. Bullshit. Whereas... The, the real investors, it's all in the numbers game for them. You know, like if you're buying a property in New Zealand, for example, like you don't pay capital gains tax. True. Like there's different things and there's only two countries that can invest, you know, in residential properties in New Zealand and that's Australia. And I think the other one's Singapore. So people don't know this stuff too, but like you'd be better off buying a home in New Zealand for $400,000 with great equity growth sitting on like two acres with a rental yield that actually pays off the mortgage so you're not paying a cent out of it compared to buying a fucking million-dollar home in Oakley where you're paying a substantial amount to that mortgage. It's just there's so many factors to it. It's just crazy. No, there are. And I think across the board as well, you know, you look at principal and interest or Correct. just doing interest or, you know, there's there's so many different variables for every different property. Is it a townhouse apartment? Mm. Is it a standalone home? Is it a storage unit, a, a yeah. warehouse, a retail shop, an, an office? There's there's so many different variables across the board, and it needs to be it needs to be right. There's no, there is a right and wrong, but at the same time, it's a very broad right and wrong. You know. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I don't think one's better than the other for sure. I think it really depends, and I'm always big on diversity. I think you definitely need commercial and residential too, because. The, let's just say the residential market crashes and the not crashes but goes down a bit you've got your commercial there too and vice versa as well. yeah. and diversity in a whole i would say so you know property market stocks whatever it is i would say diversity though with property I, i'd always be away from resi that's just my personal belief i'd have diversity in the commercial space mm-hmm. but 
I, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I wouldn't get into into resi. What, so what would you do then if there was a massive shift in the economy where it took a massive impact on, you know, the commercial property market? can't see it happening much like just across the board there's always going to be a demand for a it. demand without <coughs> a doubt depending on the property yep. of course certain things cbd offices yeah fucked they're, but, they're fucked yeah but suburban business parks industrial even retail to a certain extent even city fringe Offices are still doing exceptionally well, you know, in your Essendon's, in your Brunswick's, Coburg's, yep. Ascot Vales, th they're still doing exceptionally well. So again, being versatile in the sense, not being attached to say, okay, I will sell certain things as the economy shifts, as as commercial property moves forward, that's what I'd be doing, just rejuggling mm. Everything to suit the current time because the world's ever evolving. So, Correct. I, but hard. I would do it in the commercial space. Yeah, that that diversity. So, yeah, being knowledgeable in that sense, educated enough to to be able to make the right decisions. For someone like like as we said before, that's wanting to invest in the commercial field, what would be your sort of hot tips for them? Would it be you can get into the market now for 150 grand and you know understanding that and and educating yourself on that there's, there's many different ways but i'd get in off plan industrial that's that's what i would get in because you get your immediate growth you're purchasing today for something that's going to be in, completed in 18 months time you're already getting your growth from day one from putting your 10 percent deposit down upon settlement is settlement when it's done yeah, upon completion. Okay. Yeah. So if you're an investor now and you purchase today, it's going to be completed in 18 months' time. You put your 10% down now, you're getting that growth for that 18th month period. Three to four months out from completion, start your leasing campaign, secure yourself a tenant, ideal world, all going well, you're having immediate income upon settlement, yep. servicing your loan. You can you can get away with a 20% deposit now. So you've already put down your 10, you come up with another 20 80% LVR, loan-to-value ratio, and whether you're doing principal and interest or interest only, 99% of the time, the ones I've worked with my clients, they're positively geared extensively. So that's the process yep. I would take. After a year or two, refinance it, take your, your equity out, and do it again. Do it, do it, it again, repeat, do it repeat. again, do it again. Correct, just keep multiplying so, it. So as a general rule, if you're buying something that's around the 150 mark, let's, you know, blow it up a little bit it's about 40 grand and you can have yourself your first piece of commercial real estate blowing it up definitely in terms yeah. of deposits yeah storage in you know, 4.8 meter yeah. high internal ceilings yeah and you can put a mess in as well that's it what are the standard uh deposits that you see offered for industrial properties does it range in order to settle on it yeah or no i mean like for for residential we get People that offer five percent, we get people that offer ten percent, we get people that offer thirty percent, twenty percent. What's the standard? Standard ten percent is it ten percent? Ten percent, yeah. Some I've seen with five percent, but if yeah. they really, you know, yeah. And but then yeah, I majority ten percent. And I guess if they want it more, they offer more. Does that does that help too, or is it doesn't really care? Does it depend on the vendor? Yeah, it depends on the vendor situation. Section twenty seven is it valuable enough for them to release their deposit early? What sort of settlement terms are they looking at? Yeah. It definitely varies. Okay. It definitely varies. Is there a particular type of, is the one you just said, um, like the storage unit type sort of easiest way 
lowest bar- barrier to market entry for someone yeah. that's starting in fresh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, from one fifty to say three hundred and fifty thousand, that's generally the price point that they fall into. And then warehousing now, depending of course where you are, from half a mil to two and a half. Yeah. So, what about um, just one thing I want to touch on quickly in regards to you know all this, and this is fantastic too. Like I think our listeners would really appreciate hearing like this as well from from your perspective what about um vacancy rates what are vacancy rates like in the industrial it, it, it varies but again a successful project successful business park you're up at you know 98 percent tenants i think it's, really it's fantastic it, it is genuinely fantastic and the properties that we have industrial when they come up for lease they're getting snapped up straight away i think in this market more than ever it's yeah. a great time to invest yeah. yeah no definitely yeah definitely without a doubt and it's exciting moving forward you know without a question beautiful perfect that i think it would be good that is a wrap thank you everyone very much for listening thank you peter for coming on sharing all that knowledge all Thanks that value so um, if you're not already following him and his businesses on instagram please do so other than that, guys, that is another episode of the Life Pod done. Thank you again very much for coming on. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you guys on another episode. Take care, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye bye.